This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Commercial with a state podcast. And welcome back to the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm Corey Wright. And I'm Adam Scalina. And Corey, today we've got an amazing episode. We've got Byron Chard. He is the CEO and president of Chard Development, past guest, fan favorite, friend of the show. You got it. He's like one of my favorite people to have on because I feel like in 30 minutes, he delivers more kind of like takeaways than often the show has in an hour and a half or an hour and 15 minutes. Like he's just very concise. He always has thoughtful things to say. And uh, this is a fantastic episode. And he feels like he's very on the forefront of his industry, yes. right? Like he's, he's very he's very knowledgeable. He's at the forefront of the industry. They're always looking for the next new dynamic thing. Unpacks all of that. But today we also wanted to unpack the new federal announcement on GST on purpose-built rentals, which they have about 2,500 doors, I believe, under construction. And I believe it's around 2,000 doors that are going to be purpose-built rentals. That that's a huge thing. And a lot of our listeners may not know that if you finish off a project and that project has a presumed value of, let's say, $100 million when it's completed, which would not be out of the realm in today's costs, especially in the city of Vancouver, that you actually have to cut a check to the federal government for 5% of that or $5 million. Yeah. Right? And that a lot, a lot of people don't realize that. So it has tremendous impact on the performance when these guys are looking at this announcement, I think will be very, very well welcomed amongst the industry. So we wanted Byron to come on and unpack that. But he also provides some good insight about some other costs that have gone up, what might happen, where that 5% maybe get dissolved into. So it may not be as lucrative as everyone thinks it is. Yeah, I would say like the two items that a lot of the conversation today is around is is the GST and purpose-built rental, but also the DCL increases as well, right? Yeah, definitely. So looking at really what uh, you're contending with, with purpose-built rental, but then we cover so much more. We talk about how the commercial real estate market is doing, trends that Byron is observing and how that's impacting charge strategies moving forward this year, his thoughts on interest rates, the balance of the year in terms of market activity. And then what I love is the conversation around kind of fringe markets, which yeah. chart is always kind of focused on you know, like some of their early, early day projects, you know, or they, they were always kind of operating in, in the fringe. So close to downtown, but not quite in downtown or close to the best area, but not quite yeah. in that pocket. Right. So like, I, it makes me think of like Mount Pleasant 10 yeah, years ago totally. or whatever, or something like uh Harris green district in yep. Victoria, which is very much an up and coming neighborhood. So one thing, of course, we ask them is where's the next fringe market? Where are you excited about so it's it's a great episode if you're a real estate investor or if you're just paying attention to the direction of the market. Yep. Just touching on that real quick. I, I was interested to charge through their project at Main and 7th Ellsworth. Yeah. You know, feels like a decade ago now. But Beautiful at, building. At, at that time, they were one of the first ones to kind of go into that corridor, which now fast forward five, six, seven, eight years, massive amount built, yeah. even more is under development. Definitely it's on the forefront. Prices, it's oh, downtown yeah. rents. It's uh, and it's a great neighborhood yeah. to live in. And it's right? no longer the fringe. Like they were there before. Be, they were there when it was the fringe. 
It's a major corridor in the city with lots of density. So definitely had some good foresight on that project alone. Absolutely. So I can't wait to this conversation with Byron. I should say, Corey, in about uh, an hour's time or so, I'm going to be at Children's Hospital, BC Children's yep. Hospital. Yep. Jaden Lee, friend of the show, we've all been uh, thinking about this upcoming run. It's actually here. It's today, which yep. is unbelievable. He's running 100 miles over the next 26 hours, I think. 26 hours. Mistaken. Unbelievable. He's running 100 miles to raise $150,000 for BC Children's Hospital. By the time this airs, we will kind of know the result and how, yep. it, how it panned out. But we're going to be down there today. That's super exciting. And then I think at least Matt, maybe myself, will be in Chilliwack tomorrow at the finish line. We're thinking it's not going to be till like 8 p.m. Saturday night. Between 3 and 6 p.m. today, he's going to start the run. And then he's, he's going to be finishing in the evening tomorrow night. So running all through the night. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Which, uh, hoping that the weather cooperates. It looks like it's going to be a nice day today. Yeah. So that's exciting. So yeah, thank you for everybody that's been supporting Jaden and Jaden's run for our podcast and uh, in our sphere. So we really appreciate it. And yeah, thanks to William Wright for supporting Jaden's run as well. Yeah, was, we're, ha uh, we're happy. Huge. Happy, happy to make a contribution to such an incredible cause. Okay, well, without further ado, our conversation with Byron Chard, president and CEO of Chard Development. Enjoy, guys. This podcast is presented by Impact Commercial. Impact Commercial, John, Alan, the team over there are fantastic. They've been, all been on the show. They have, yeah. Friends of the show. Great guys. Wealth of experience. They can help with all your commercial financing needs. Whether it's owner-occupiers, land development funds, commercial investments, or multifamily, these guys got you covered. And they recently obtained their CMHC correspondent lender status. So for all your commercial lending needs, visit them at impactcommercial.ca. That's impactcommercial.ca. Okay, so we're here with Byron Chard, CEO and President of Chard Development. How you doing, Byron? Fantastic. Thank you for having me back again. Yeah, it's good to have you back in studio. And this is, I think, second or third time on the commercial show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's our go-to for all the all the information we need. He, he sponge, <laughs> he feeds it to us. But I, I, I do want to say this before we get into this. We had Jordan McDonald on. I think it was the first episode. We're going back a couple of years now. Yeah, this uh, from Fabric. Yeah, yeah, from Fabric Living. Jordan walks in white shirt. Looks like he just comes from the gym. Yeah. Byron shows up today. In a golf shirt. In a golf shirt. With literally needing permits for his arms. <laughs> this is like, like this is just going to become a flex off oh, now. This my is, gosh. Uh, this is, everybody's in uh, good shape in the oh, developing oh, oh, it's it's a pattern. Rap music in good shape now. And that's why we're not. A steam boost. Yeah. And that's why we're not videotaping <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or video recording this. We were going to, but then we would look so horrible uh, well, next to Byron. Now we this, had to turn the cameras off. This is it. Well, Byron, for our listeners that don't know about Chart or don't know about you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So I'll start with the company first. So Chard Development, uh, we currently have 2,500 homes on the go, three commercial projects, including two hotels, uh, the 2,500 homes with just over 2,000 rental. Um, and then we have about 500 affordable homes. So that is rental and affordable condo. So we have grown on a strategy of diversify through asset class, not geographical region. Um, and the key there is the relationships at the city of Vancouver, city of Victoria, and the North Shore. It is challenging to get permits and approvals. Um, I like to tease the different directors of planning 
uh, and staff that they make it so challenging. I have a job. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So it's, that's been our core strategy. And we've really pivoted to rental about five years ago and really focusing on large scale amenity rich um, rental buildings that will provide more than just a home. It's a lifestyle. It's a community. Uh, and it's really been an exciting pivot for us over to rental, and we're looking to continue to pursue it. Well, I guess the obvious question is why? Why pivot to rental? So we made the pivot to rental. It was actually close to 10 years ago on a project in Victoria. The project was 209 units, and in the Victoria market, that would have been too large for a pre-sale condo to actually get the pre-sales to launch. So that's when we started to pivot down the rental and explore. And in that case, we did a forward sale to an institution uh, back east. And we did the forward sale to make sure that we could get the construction debt because essentially it was a pre-sale. Uh, and so we could get sufficient leverage. That 209 unit really was our catalyst to show that we can deliver a well-executed, high-end, purpose-built rental building that operates well for years into the future. That introduced us to other institutions. Um, and really for us, large-scale rental is about working with pension funds. These are teachers, police officers, firefighters, their pensions that we're looking to invest and to be delivering a return long into the future. Um, And so now we work with these type of institutions to deliver uh, these rental buildings that are definitely needed and are challenging to build. But it is, I think, the lifestyle and I think it's the home of the future uh, is these large purpose-built rental buildings that are everywhere else in the world, but we haven't seen them in Vancouver. We've had this conversation on the show, but do you think Vancouver is becoming a city where we're going to be seeing more people as as lifelong renters? I think it's a mix. I think Canadians still, uh, we have the dream of the white picket fence. And in my opinion, it is, what is that white picket fence for you? Um, a white picket fence is different for everyone, but we like to have the stigma of it's a single family home. Uh, you own it, you own the dirt. I don't think that is the white picket fence for everyone because lifestyles have changed. It's more about traveling. It's about seeing the world. It's about the experience. I think COVID also reshaped that. I do think people enjoy locking the door, leaving at the end of the day uh, compared to the yard work, replacing the turf, um, (laughs) having to walk the dogs. That's a different lifestyle. And I think people are shifting. Uh, So I do think Purpose Put Rental has a lot of advantages with a professional management company. You don't need to think about your replacing your dishwasher if there's an issue. You don't need to think about a lot of the lifestyle things that you need to think about when you're owning a home, the property tax, the your cash flow, essentially, at the end of the day. We can make it that you pay in two tranches depending of when your actual paychecks are. Like We can be flexible from a property management standpoint, which you can't offer when you're dealing with a bank. It's interesting because I know the number one reason that people buy real estate in Canada is, is for stability and, and purpose-built rental has that component as well. That is the biggest advantage of purpose-built rental. I don't feel like a lot of the consumers understand. The secondary rental market is not stable. Yes, it's a great investment for those individuals who typically buy and rent it out, but they could sell at any point. And so for the renter, that's not a stable place for them to live. And that's where purpose-built rental is a really fantastic, stable environment. Until you've been in that situation, I don't think you really appreciate what purpose-built rental truly means by being operated by a professional management company. And and I think that, unfortunately, we have a few bad apples who have also stigmatized the landlord, but there's a lot of really good, and most of the landlords are really good landlords in BC. Well, I think it's it's funny you say that because a friend of mine, they just had a, a newborn probably like three or four months ago, and they got notice like within the past couple of weeks that the condo has been sold. 
the lease is coming to expiry and they got to move out. And they reached out to me and they asked me like, what do we do? And the first thing I suggest is find a good purpose-built rental that's owned and managed well, because then you have at least the next couple of years while your kid's growing up to sort of stabilize everything before you either become a homeowner or you re-rent because that's always looming over people's heads. Byron, one reason why I want to have you on the show today, you guys are obviously really big into the purpose-built rental side, but there was a big announcement that came out from the feds talking about the GST attached to purpose-built rentals. Now, a lot of our listeners probably don't understand this portion. So can we start with A, what is it if you're building a purpose-built rental for yourself or for sale? How does that GST play into it? And what, what was the announcement? And I guess, you know, well, might as well throw a third question in there. How is it going to impact the rental market? Sure. So, Corey, when you asked me to come on the show again, yeah. talk about tax and real estate as an accountant, yeah. I was yeah. ecstatic. I felt uh, that through the text messaging there that you I were ex- in thirty you, seconds. Oh, and you and you never, you never get back to me like that. So I knew <laughs> I knew we were onto something good here. Lies, Corey. I always respond immediately. <laughs> uh, so let's unpack of how does GST? Why does GST get charged on yeah. purpose-built rental? So as a developer, um, when we're building condos, let's start there. It's the end buyer or the purchaser who pays GST. So we set the price and then they are going to pay uh, when they close with their lawyer on the statement of adjustment. For a purpose-built rental building, there is no buyer at the end of the day. It is typically, it's the developer um, who will be owning, or if there's a transaction, um, they'll be the new individual. However, 30 days after the first person moves into the a unit, we have to self-assess for GST. And what that means is we need to determine what that building is worth on the open market. Typically, we have an appraisal that is completed. Um, that is including the land that we paid, the, all of our profit, as well as our costs. And we then have to pay GST on that. We, do, we could be eligible for rebates um, if the units are self-assessed on an individual basis less than $450,000 um, on a sliding scale. However, in Vancouver, it's very rare a unit is worth less than 450000 yeah. So typically, you're paying 5% on your entire building. So if I have a building, hypothetically, that I complete and has a market value of $100 million on my performer there, I have, before input tax credits or whatever, a $5 million budget line for GST. And I haven't even collected a single rent payment yet. So you're, that money is you know, on the cap stack table. It absolutely is. And it is... Um, before we have collected us, we are the most highly leveraged, the highest interest rates we could be paying at that point. Because typically we don't refinance a building from our construction loan until we are stabilized. Yeah. And so the net operating income is realized for the lender to actually lend on. Yeah. Uh, and so it's a significant amount of equity that needs to be injected. So the announcement from the federal government, which we're still waiting on the details of what does construction start mean, um, is outlining that the GST will be waived for projects that are not yet under construction, which will start prior to 2030 and finish before the end of 2035. Gotcha. And and so what this really means is that there is a reduced cost basis, but this is a big reduction in the equity required. And so why I say it that way is because when we get a construction loan, it's typically based on the net operating income of what the building's projected to achieve at occupancy. And so typically lenders look at it on a debt service ratio basis, on a loan to value basis or loan to cost, and is a lesser of those three metrics. And so typically that lesser is normally sitting around a 70% leverage on the project. 
by reducing the cost basis, by reducing the GST, it's a direct reduction of equity required, which means I now just have more equity to build more rental projects. And so this is going to be a catalyst to actually get projects into the ground, plus also have more equity to build more rental. So this is a massive announcement that we've been waiting for from the federal government. I applaud them to finally roll this commitment out, which they made years ago. Eight years ago? Is that what it was? Someone told me it was around that. Well, from the election next year, funny the timing on that, eh? (laughs) (laughs) And I do think we're going to see a lot more rental buildings start construction. However, the market impacts are not yet realized from this announcement, in my opinion. Can we just, just, I'm thinking somebody out there maybe is wondering, and I guess this is probably in the details, but. What does it mean by start construction? Like if you've cleared a site, if you've like, what, like, do do we have any sense of what that means? And, and for people that are maybe kind of holding land, we don't know what start construction means yet. Uh, If we look back to the 1970s under MERP, that program, it was pouring footings. If you look at what construction starts mean for CMHC, when they do the construction start, it's when you're pouring concrete. So again, pouring footings. So excavation does not count. So I think that's the biggest metric. That's where my gut is, is what construction start is going to be. Concrete. Um, it, it would be concrete pouring for your footings, but we'll wait to see what the announcement is from the federal government. So it's fair to say all projects that were set to start this week are on hold for the next <laughs> six or seven weeks. <laughs> concrete orders are getting canceled. <laughs> they, they need to clarify this because I do yeah. think we they, just to keep the catalyst moving yeah. of what under construction means to get these homes built. And and so I mean 5% is 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 a huge number when you're talking about, you know, 100 million, right? So can you talk about do you think this is enough of a carrot for for people to focus on purpose built and and what do you think this does for pro formas and and how does this impact developers in terms of moving forward? So I think this is a significant catalyst and again I applaud the government. I think this is going to be a really big catalyst for projects to start construction in the next 12 months. The projects that the developer owns the land, that they have approvals in place, those are the ones here who will actually start to build the projects. If we look at, I'll call it the supply chain or the life cycle of a project, I am concerned about them, about the rental projects which are still in rezoning or about to submit, because now we're seeing municipalities want to recalculate your CACs and what your actual performa is without GST. And so I do, I do have concerns about municipalities looking to put their hand out for some of the savings on the GST if it's through more affordability, which could then again not actually deliver these homes that this policy is supposed to do. And then number two is if you don't own the land yet, the vendor could be wanting a savings here or an increase in the land or actually achieving the price that they are desiring, but haven't been able to achieve because of this interest rate environment. And so I do worry about how many hands are now going to want a piece of this 5%. So I think at the end of the day, the true winners are going to be the end consumer in three to four years when these homes are built that are about to start construction. And so if I hear you correctly, do you think there's a chance that land costs are going to go up? I don't think go up in the current market, but I do think we could see more transactions out of this because the land makes more sense to the developer with 5% and the vendor's number is more achievable. Is more achievable. Got it. One thing I thought of when I heard that this, the announcement come out, the first thing I was thinking was cities, municipalities, DCCs, CACs. You know, uh, I've heard building codes are changing and, and standards are getting lifted. That that five percent might evaporate really, really quickly when other people come to the table looking at how they can maybe potentially get their hands on that. Do you feel, from a development community standpoint, that this is a big enough announcement? Not knowing how it lays out and not knowing how every municipality will look at this, 
But is it a big enough announcement that you're maybe dusting off old performers or maybe you pick your pen up again and say, hey, there might be opportunities here that wasn't here two weeks ago? Absolutely. I think I'll be pivoting if it's commercial space or condo space from to deliver an extra probably 500 to 1,000 rental homes because of this policy. Wow. So this is a significant shift. However, there are also new policies coming out like the Metro Vancouver increase in the development cost levy, which will erode almost 70% of the savings. And if this policy gets approved later this fall, then that will change back these projects or stall them once again. Can you unpack that for our listeners? So we're familiar, we talk a lot about community amenity contributions, but what's, what is the DCL and, and how does that tie in with uh, Metro Vancouver and the municipalities? Sure. So first off, why don't we try to unpack all the fees that we pay? Yeah, yeah, yeah that'd be that. that. Yeah, that's great. We can break them down so people have a better understanding of these costs and that you have to a, incur. there'll be a glossary in the show notes as well. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if the show's going to give us enough time here to go over them, but why, yeah. why don't we start with the Well, the I'll taxes. tell you right now, with forearms and muscles the size of yours, we can sit here as long as you, <laughs> as long as you tell us to sit, we're not going to move. <laughs> so let's start with when we purchase the land, we have a land transfer tax. Then we get into our application fees, uh, which are only going up. And for example, we just submitted a rezoning application in the district of North Vancouver. Our application fee was almost $200,000. Wow. Um, actually, it was over $200,000. And how do they break that down? Is that number of units, total cost? Like how would a, a municipality determine maybe what an application fee percentage looks like? Typically, it's on square footage. Gotcha. And when is that paid? That's paid right when we submit. So, wow. Wow. so it's at the beginning of the process. Wow. Then we move into the actual fees, which are paid at the end of the process. I'll call it before we start construction to actually receive it, if it's a building permit or a development permit. So we have building permit fees. We have development permit fees. Then we have any, if we have to pay community amenity contributions, we normally have a public art fee, which is in the city of Vancouver, it's $2 a square foot for projects over 100,000 square feet. I was always wondering how they got that 40-foot bird in uh, uh, Olympic Village there. I was always wondering where that money yeah, came or from. Yeah, that 40-foot ladder on Kingsway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now we know. <laughs> then we go into, uh, we have TransLink fees. Then we go into Metro Vancouver fees. Then we start to go into our engineering fees. And also don't forget, like DCLs are broken down to utilities, plus also infrastructure. So the fees typically are adding up to be about 20 to 30% of our performers right now, depending on the municipality we work in. And that Metro Vancouver fee increase, though, is a significant, significant increase of that would erode close to 70% of that GST savings. And just to be clear, this is typically when, when you're developing strata, it's passed on to the consumer? Yes, it's in our total cost. Yeah. Um, and so we... As much as I would be loving to be not having to make or delivering these units at a more affordable rate, yeah. um, I need to achieve financing. Of course, I need yeah. to keep our lenders happy. I don't think the end consumer or actually our municipalities or the governments appreciate how much the lenders play in this I call it life cycle of development or the ecosphere. Uh, they are a major player um, and they need to be at the table more. Uh, in these discussions with governments, if it's at the provincial, federal, or municipal level, because between 70 to maybe 85% of our capital stack is a lender. Do you get, so these fees, are there any breaks outside of the, the GST when you're building purpose-built rental versus a multifamily uh, strata building? It depends on the municipality, but typically most have eliminated that. 
Uh, so for example, when we built our rental building in the city of North Van, and we started this project six, seven years ago, we had a 50% development cost levy reduction if you're a purposeful rental. They waived that about a year after we finished. And their reason, they were being too successful. They were getting too many rental buildings. And so they thought they, we were making too much money. So they got rid of it. Once again, it was, it's that perception of us as a developer making a profit is a bad thing. And I again, our money is coming from pension funds. Uh, these are going directly back to pay for most of these municipal counselors or their pen, or their teachers yeah. uh, over to pay their pension. Right. And that is lost in this equation. Well, I think so many people don't understand or they don't look at it from the amount of risk developers take because the size of these projects, the cost of these projects, immediately you get backed into a corner as a big bad developer because you're making money. But also at the same point in time, you know, you look at Calgary a few years ago and, you know, maybe even some projects even today in BC, you I mean, the profits probably aren't nearly what people think on a percentage basis versus what the end dollar amount is. But the risk is absolutely enormous. You're buying them today and you're betting on what that market may or may not look like five years from now. And you've got costs, you've got all these things run up that the, the, the risk on this stuff is enormous. As you, as we approach the Halloween season, I think the scariest costume could be a developer is yeah. for the kids out <laughs> trick-or-treating. <laughs> So obviously you guys have tons of projects going on everywhere right now. What are you seeing on overall market conditions? Obviously we're, you know, inflation, everything considered right now. Where, what is your take on the overall market? So let's start with construction pricing. Um, so at the beginning of the year, I was, I'd say hoping, um, but we were projecting construction pricing would be stable or go down a little bit. Uh, we look at construction pricing on three bases. We look at it from a labor standpoint, a material standpoint, and a profit uh, for each of the sub-trades. We have seen the material go down slightly, but it's yeah. labor that has continued to increase. And unfortunately, that has mean that hard cost um, pricing for us has still continued to escalate this year. Wow. Um, and also, don't forget, we're competing with the same sub-trades as who's building the hospitals, yeah. who's building the infrastructure, right. who's building all these significant government infrastructure investment. We compete with the same sub-trades. We need more skilled workers in this province. We need to achieve that through better education systems, more education systems, encouraging the next generation to go into trades, and also through immigration. Um, it's really important that we do get skilled immigrants into the province to help us actually build these homes, uh, build this infrastructure. That's critical. So from a hard cost standpoint, we're going to continue to see it escalate. We also have code changes uh, coming at the end of this year for seismic. It's going to have a more of an impact on the island. Um, and so we're seeing almost a 50% increase in the amount of steel and concrete in some of our projects on the island, just oh. due to, it depends on what your soil conditions are. But that increase is going to be significant on the end performer and, and at the end of the day to the end consumer of do these projects actually get built. If we actually look at the rental market, it continues to be an extremely tight market for the end consumer. Uh, there is not enough supply and that is going to continue for years ahead because there's not enough under construction due to the hard costs and the yeah. interest rate environment that we just went over. Uh, so that I do hope will change over the next 12 months. I do think a lot of projects are going to start for rental based on this GST announcement. And I say the end, the winner is going to be the end consumer in three to four years when there's more competition. When these buildings need to get leased up, they need to get leased up in a decent amount of time. Developers don't want to sit on 50 to 75% inventory for a rental building. And that means the end consumer is going to win with new product, uh, better amenities, and, and most likely a more competitive price. Can you, so one thing that Corey said not long ago about the person who contacted him looking for kind of a more stable situation, young family, 
would you say are there purpose built options kind of equally distributed throughout the lower mainland or do you are there certain areas where you almost have to live if you want to be in a purpose built rental no i would say a lot of municipalities are supporting a purpose built rental so i would say they are popping up in different municipalities and you do though have to reach out and, and do your research as the end consumer you always should we are seeing more purpose built rental uh, get built to skytrain nodes if it's rapid transit and the reason for there is typically the lender as well as the investor, that institution, that pension fund, likes to be closer to rapid transit because the renter typically is looking for that type of location. And that's ultimately where money flocks. But no, it, it is pretty diverse across the region now, which is fantastic to give even more options of the community you want to live. Uh, I highly recommend if you're a renter, go seek out a purpose or rental building. It is, a, I think, a, a more elevated and secure experience that again, I think the public, unless you've doesn't understand, unless you've lived in a rental building. Is there a region throughout the lower mainland where you tend to kind of focus on, or you're more excited to to build in? So once again, our strategy has been really focused on location. Um, and so, city of Vancouver, we even though it is challenging to work in the city of Vancouver, there is a lot of different bulletins to policies to bylaws. That, however, we do feel like it's an area where. We want to continue to invest. Uh, we love the city of Vancouver and the amenities that it offers and the location to employment, to rapid transit, uh, and to lifestyle. So we continue to invest into the city of Vancouver. I know that is not the case for all developers because of the brain damage associated uh, right. to trying to get through. But I would say that's where we have good capital behind us and the pension funds we work with who do have a desire for the city of Vancouver. Uh, and that's where the chart team uh, I have a team of 50 employees around and fantastic. I would say really uh, roll up the sleeves and get to work to build those relationships and ultimately work with the community to achieve those approvals and build these buildings. Obviously, interest rates right now are are scarcely high from where they were. Those interest rates impact you probably more so than most people just at the scale that you guys are doing things. What are your thoughts on interest rates right now? Where we're at Do you you know, are we going to go higher? You know, how do you guys look at it? Because obviously they're impacting you guys dramatically. So a little bit to unpack with that question. So let's start to how do we look at it? Uh, so every month we pull the top big five banks, what they're projecting over the next three to four years. Uh, and we we run all of our performance on an average of those big five banks. Okay. Uh, and we adjust every month based of what those projections are. Obviously, what we were projecting in January uh, is lower than what we're projecting today. Gotcha. Um, they have gone up since. And I would say right now, I am a flip the coin type of guy if we're going to see an increase or not. Uh, definitely not a decrease here in the next announcement. Yeah. But I, it wouldn't shock me if we see an increase uh, one more time this fall, uh, which I think is the, not the right decision to make. We are seeing the economy start to show cracks. And, and so, but however, the Bank of Canada is set on how they're going to get to their 2% target. And so I do think. There, this is a flip of the coin still of what we're going to see. I do not think we're going to see a decrease in interest rates until at least next summer. Uh, we're in this environment for a while. I do think that we are going to ride it and the Bank of Canada is going to make sure inflation is yeah. dead. They are going to hit their targets and they do not want to see a rebound on this. So I think we're going to be in this environment for a few years. That's what we are projecting. If we do start to see decreases, it's not going to be significant. Uh, this is the environment we're working in, so let's get used to it. And knowing that, or you mean that your thoughts pretty much echoed what we had when we had Doug Porter on from BMO, kind of very similar. 
knowing that now, if, if we are in this higher interest rate market for longer than we all want to be, how does that impact your future decision-making on projects? Are you kind of, are you bullish on it? Kind of like, hey, we're going to make these work knowing this is our cost, or is this cost still going to deter you from looking at future projects until you get more certainty and see where it goes? So the nice thing about purposeful rental is that we are underwriting with the basis of as long as we get approval, um, yeah. we know that our capital is there to proceed with the project to start construction. So we underwrite with the interest rate environment that we see today. Uh, and so when we complete a performance on a residual basis, so working backwards to figure out what our land price is, um, if it still makes sense, then we're able to negotiate with a purchase or a vendor to actually buy land at the today's interest rate environment with the construction loan debt, assuming the debt service coverage on the interest rates that we're seeing today, yeah. then we will proceed with moving a project forward. Gotcha. And can you maybe just unpack a little bit debt service coverage for the listeners out there that how, what debt service coverage is and how it impacts loans? Sure. So debt service coverage is at the end of the day, your net operating income. So that yep. is taking the total revenue. So how much we're receiving from the tenants minus our operating costs. And it's a big difference for a rental building versus a commercial building. For example, an office building is that operating costs in an office building are charged back to your tenant. Yep. In a rental building, it is the landlord that's paying it. So when we start to see property taxes go up by a significant amount, when we see insurance go up, that is, a, again, a significant impact to the net operating income, which will not make projects proceed. It'll stall people from actually proceeding with the project. So once we get to our net operating income, then we take a ratio. If it's normally a one-to-one, some banks require a 1.15, and that is a ratio of what the loan payments need to be versus your actual net operating income. And then based on that ratio, then you apply your amortization and your interest rate to get down to your debt service coverage. Gotcha. So so for 1.15, hypothetically, if I have a $100,000 monthly mortgage payment, I at 1.15, I need to have $150,000 type of thing coming in in order to service the debt to meet the bank's requirements. You are correct. There we go. That easy. I couldn't have done that. Byron, uh, so just just thinking about right now, um, we talked about GST being a big thing that you applaud the government for for focus or taking care of. Are, is there any other low-hanging fruit that you think that the government can do to kind of further incentivize purpose-built rentals? Absolutely. There's a lot of low-hanging fruit. I think the biggest one, in my opinion, is we needed three levels of government actually working together. This is municipal, provincial, and federal. We've seen the federal step up. I think we're going to continue to see them step up through CMHC, is my hope, with bringing back the rental construction financing programs at a 50-year amortization, making that more uh, easily accessible to the developer. From a, municipal, uh, from a provincial standpoint, there's a lot of different policies that the government could be bringing in to be accelerating the actual speed of delivery, uh, encouraging it to match where their infrastructure is getting built. Uh, and working with BC Housing. BC Housing is out right now with the Community Housing Fund for not-for-profits to be applying to be delivering close to 3,000 homes. This is a fantastic initiative uh, with the closing, I think it's November 17th for this application. And so then, and then the third one is municipalities. They just need to speed up. The holding costs are greatly impacting the equity and the debt that we need to actually complete these projects. The speed and also understanding what does affordable mean Affordability, I think, is an awful term. It's been overused. It's been stigmatized. Uh, it's obtainability. What is the uh, what is obtainable for a person? We have seen significant wage inflation. You've probably all seen it in your businesses too. And but we're still trying to target an eighty thousand dollar wage, even though we've seen significant wage inflation. So 
that conversation needs to change. And we've seen the city of Vancouver make that adjustment here this week with an approval in the change in affordability. So I do think different municipalities and regions are listening. They are seeing the impacts of the economy. And at the end of the day, more and more politicians want to see more rental built. That's what we need. Well, maybe maybe I'm stupid, but if I'm thinking if there's delays in getting these projects through the city or cities and municipalities and the fees that they're charging, wouldn't it make more sense to go hire more people in those departments? Would that not be a simple solution to it? Or is there much more behind this than just you know hiring 40 more bodies and saying, let's go at it? Automation, I think, is going to be the answer. We've right, seen yeah. that in different municipalities. Automation technology will speed this up. And AI. that will also hold the developer more accountable too. And less mistakes will be made. But this part of the speeding up the process is the developer has to be submitting a good application. Yeah, We need to be following the rules. We need to be a good player. We need to be at the table too instead of just sitting there being upset that we're not getting approvals fast enough. We need to be helping city staff to make their life easier. And as long as if they could automate our drawing review and we're following the setback rules, we're following the two and three bedroom requirements, that can be done in less than a second from a computer. And that could drastically speed up that review. And that could check a lot of those boxes that the city staff do need to follow to protect public interest. We just saw Ken Sim speak a few weeks back and that was his big push as he's trying to automate and, and said it's a work in, in process, but uh, he anticipates you know in the next year or two that things will be a lot quicker. Fingers and, crossed. As a developer, we have to respect city staff are there to protect public interest. They are making sure that the public realm environment that we all really enjoy in Vancouver as we walk past buildings, that's what they're trying to protect while they're also trying to make livable buildings. So yeah. they, they have a challenging role in this, again, development ecosphere, but they are doing their job. And we, we have to be a team with the city staff there understanding what they're also trying to protect. Byron, uh, we've talked over the years about kind of recognizing up and coming neighborhoods. We know that Chart has built its brand in many cases by focusing on, I think you call them fringe markets, if That's I'm not correct. mistaken. Where's the next fringe market? Or can you talk about maybe some of your favorite neighborhoods? I know you're early on Mount Pleasant. Uh, you were early with Harris Green. Talk about what you're excited about. Let me get my pen out first. Okay, yeah, I know. No kidding. Yeah. Everybody at home as well. Yeah, go ahead. I really think it's going to be areas continued on rapid transit for purposeful rental. So I'm going to stay on the focus on rental buildings or rental investments here. I do think it really comes down to finding land and locations close to transit, have view opportunities. I'm sure some of my colleagues in the industry won't agree with these comments. For example, we haven't made any plays in the Oak Ridge area. I don't view there's enough differential in that community as a developer looking to build and own a rental building long term. Uh, the view opportunity, uh, which I think Vancouver loves and the end consumer loves in Vancouver, I, I do think it's going to be boxed in a little bit there, for example. So we do really look at that of what's the long-term vision for the different areas and finding a piece of property that is about what corner are you on on the street, not about what neighborhood I'm in. Uh, and so it's really getting down to that granular detail. We walk the sites to see where the power poles are, because if there's a transformer, the power poles are on your side, most likely your costs are going to go up for an extra million dollars. Uh, from BC Hydro. So those type of details are really, I would say, important for us when we're looking to invest. And your company also works in Victoria so much that a lot of people in Victoria think you're actually out of Victoria. Can you talk about BC, maybe where you're excited, but I would imagine the island, but I'll let you talk. We're going to continue to heavily invest into the island, into Victoria. We, we think the lifestyle that brings the weather, 50% less rain than Vancouver, and also the employment opportunities that we've seen increase there drastically over the last 10 years continues to make the capital regional 
district, a fantastic area to live. And we're going to continue to invest into multiple types of housing there. If it is condos, affordable condos with BC housing or rental or even below market rental, which we have with BC housing again, those type of investments are going to continue from ours, from us. I don't plan to change our strategy on diversifying out of the geographical area. We, we think the core areas of City of Victoria, City of Vancouver are going to remain strong. Yes, work from home has shifted things slightly. However, we are adjusting our design to make that more compatible then. So if you're in the office for, let's say, three days, four days, we have a fantastic co-working space within our rental buildings for you to work when you're at home. You have phone booths. We have, of course, fiber in our buildings. So it's just about adjusting our approach. But people at the end of the day want to be close to go walk their dog, go for that drink with their friends, go for the run in the seawall. They, they want the lifestyle. Yeah. Quick question for you before we get to our six pack of lighthearted questions here. We always ask and we've had to kind of customize it keep it on the show so much. You, you had some office buildings that seem that they've pivoted to a purpose-built rental long before the announcement there. I'd be curious to get your thoughts on what, what does office in, say, the Vancouver core look like? What do you foresee? Obviously, you guys are dealing in that marketplace and the rental side of it. Do you think the office market bounces back in the coming years? Or do you think this new work-from-home hybrid model is here to stay? So I think we're going to continue to see a flight to quality for office. Uh, we're going to see that the employer has to offer more to the employee from the different style of office, from being able to offer a fantastic gym in the building or looking to have a modern workplace that makes the person want to come into the office, I think is really important. I'm a true believer that in-office work brings more collaboration, but it's important that people make their own decisions to also come into the office. With that said, we do in, at Char, we, we like to have our staff in at least three days a week. Mondays and two day, Tuesdays are mandatory for the reason of collaboration. So if you know yeah. someone's in the marketing department, in the finance department, you know they're going to be in. Uh, yeah. And it can also build that culture because I think culture is also so important. So I do think we're going to see office continue to be required. I think the amount of space different companies is going to increase, decrease. I think that's going to continue to be a conversation. The impacts of COVID, I do not think will be fully realized for at least two to potentially five years still. Companies are still trying to figure this out. Yeah, no, that I agree with you. Well, Byron, like I said, we, we've got our six pack of lighthearted questions we always ask. Before you go and and like, you know, I'm looking at your biceps right now. I'm going to, I'm going to ask, can you please stay? Most people I tell you, you got to stick around, but I'm going to ask, could you please stay with us? Not turn us into a pretzel for five more minutes. Of course. Done. Okay. Awesome. The six pack is powered by our good friends over at Red Point Law. Red Point Law, Corey, Tim, Falco, Scott, and the team. These are great people with a wealth of experience when it comes to commercial closings and private lending. And I just want to say, Corey, not to cut you off, they have a perfect five-star review on Google. So for all your commercial legal needs, visit them at redpointlaw.ca with offices in Vancouver and now open in downtown Kelowna. All right. So question number one is favorite restaurant or bar? Great question. Um, there's so many great ones, especially now we've seen more Michelin stars get announced. I'll, I'll pick Annalena and Kits. I, I think they are a fantastic restaurant. Oh, that's a great one. Good choice. Good choice. A book recommendation for our listeners. I know you're, you're always listening and reading, it sounds like. So what's the latest? This summer, I read Am I Being Too Subtle? Uh, and I thought that was a great book. A great, I love reading different business books. How do I improve my leadership style within the company? Even though I think a lot of my team would say it's not improving. Um, so I <laughs> try to try to improve. <laughs> and, and who's who's the author of that book? You just the book recommendation. Um, Sam, I'm forgetting his last name though. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll link we'll, it in we'll, the we'll show notes. It. Yeah, we'll find it. Okay, 
Question it, number three, Corey, you've scribbled down here. I think you're trying to tweak this. I, I'm uh, tweaking. We're, uh, we're doing this on the fly. You've got drink of choice, but yeah. I, I'm going to change that to smoothie of choice. I think. Yeah, smoothie of choice, drink <laughs> I don't of choice. Think, I don't maybe think it's a, a cocktail. It's anything you want. <laughs> I, I can pick smoothie of choice. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Definitely the Maca Rush from Body Energy Club. Oh, Body oh, Energy Club. Body yeah. Energy. So yeah. How how are those good for you? They taste too good to be good for you. I think that's the issue. I think though. I'm in the blueberry swirl or blueberry twist or whatever they have there. It literally tastes like an ice cream cone. I it's had like a, it's, it's it's cheating. I had the PB Dream this morning. Not gonna, oh, geez, yeah. We I, I literally <laughs> I literally go there every day on Robson for lunch. I feel like. <laughs> All right, Byron. Next question up. Car of choice. If you had unlimited budget. Could be a bike. It could be a McLaren. What is the car or transportation of choice for Byron Chard? Oh, that's funny. I had this conversation with a friend the other day. I am not a car guy. Okay, I'm a type of car guy that I, as long as it gets me to A to B, yep. I'm happy. If it gets me to Whistler, I'm happy. Yeah. So I'm not a car guy to answer the question. Okay. Uh, as long as I get to A to B, I'm not a fancy car individual that doesn't uh, get me excited. I would say. So I'm I'm more into the activities. As long as it gets me to that activity, gets me to Whistler, I'm happy. All right. All right. That's a good good answer. You are at a karaoke bar and somebody hands you a mic. What are you singing? First of all, you don't want me singing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I would hand the mic back. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not a singer. So again... Yeah, I had this conversation of like, what instrument? I, I was a percussionist as a kid. So put, put me on the drums or something, but don't put me put, on the Put voice. you in the background. Yeah. Okay, can you play on. Nickelback? <laughs> for you, Corey, I, can. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that. I appreciate it. Last question up. Something that, uh, for $1,500 or under that's had a positive impact on your life as of late. I will say a Theragun. All that right, has that's been a great one. really positive. So what what is that? I'm not so familiar with So I Theragun. actually bought my wife one uh, for Valentine's Day, I think. and and. Uh, it's like a oh, massage, massage but it sh- it's like, uh, well, it's Byron, fantastic. It's unreal, isn't yeah. it? Like I, I've actually, I, I was skeptical because yeah. I, you know, but I actually had, I did something to my shoulder and I used it the other day and it like solved, it like loosened me up completely. It's like, like that triangle 20 minutes. thing with it. Yeah. It keeps yeah. popping up on my Amazon. I think it knows I'm getting old. It keeps popping up on my it's Amazon. It's going to pop up even more after we've talked yeah, about it. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so are you, you're using it for recovery. For recovery, I used it a lot. I did the Grand Fondo up to Whistler. Yeah. The bike ride from Vancouver to Whistler there last month and used it quite a bit. It's fantastic on, I find my hips as I get older are getting tighter. So yeah, it's, <laughs> uh, great to use there. Uh, but no, I, I love it from the recovery standpoint and an easy massage at the end of the day. That's a great one. I have to get my own because I'm apparently not allowed to use my wife. So that's uh, <laughs> well, working gonna, on I'm it. I'm going to order one now just to have something to talk about next week. Yeah. I need to figure this out. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Byron, how can people find out more about what you're up to and, of course, about Chard Development? I would say go to our website, chardevelopment.com, or you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to have a conversation about real estate. It's a fun topic. It's real estate or the weather here in Vancouver. I think some of our listeners have taken you up on that in the past, but yeah, yeah. you're an open book and you're easily reachable. So, uh, no, I appreciate that. And thanks again for coming on the show. Uh, always fascinating. Always a great conversation. My pleasure. Thank yeah. you for having me. Thanks, Byron. We really appreciate it. There you have it, folks. Our interview with Byron Chard, Chard Developments, President and CAO. Never, never, never under-delivers that guy. Like, no, that was a jam-packed episode. Especially in the gym. Holy <laughs> Dinah. Holy Dinah. I know we... We, 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 we talked about that maybe too much. We oh, just, uh, well, I was, you know, I've, I've known Byron for a long time. And like I said, maybe I see him in a suit all the time. But yeah. man, like 
permits. Like he's got to get permits for those forearms. Like those things are massive. Well, no, it was funny. That was, I think we were both kind of, cause yeah, I think it's either his suit or we haven't seen him in a while. Yeah. Yeah. He's in pretty good shape. That guy. Well, I think, uh, you know, I mean, you know, I'm just going to throw this out there. If we ever want to get into a, a podcast arm wrestling challenge, Probably, I'm trying to think of who that would be. That would probably be Byron Chard versus... Jordan McDonald. Jordan McDonald. Oh, my God. <laughs> it, it could be the developers. It could be the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast's first ever developers arm wrestling that, full charity. That would be something I yeah. would pay oh, to you know, see. Oh, you know what be better? Here's what we're going to do. Yeah. We're going to find a prime site. Yeah. And we'll let them both put bids on it. And we're going to arm wrestle to see who gets who gets the site. <laughs> <laughs> Wait for it. It's coming. Coming soon. Corey, what else do we have for the day? Uh, how can people get in touch if they want to talk to you or any any broker at uh, William Wright? They can reach us at our Vancouver head office, 604-428-5255. Let us know what you're looking for. We'll put you in touch with the best broker in the province to help you. Or they can drop me an email, Corey at WilliamWright.ca. Anytime. Love hearing about the show. It was great. Actually, this past week, I was very fortunate to be a speaker at this past real estate conference, the Pacific West Real Estate Conference I had here in Vancouver. And after the thing, there was a number of guests or a number of guests that attended the forum that we were speaking at that came up after and told me they listened to the podcast and how much they enjoyed it. So it was great to meet a whole bunch of listeners. That's fantastic. Well, that's, that's great. And uh, I should say, Corey, we were talking a little bit before, but maybe we'll, we'll leave on this a little bit about the the province. You were saying pockets of activity kind of throughout the province. If you had to pick a market right now, that seems to be kind of moving and, and, and maybe uh, without going into asset class, but just, just what's, what's moving. Yeah. I would, if I, if I, if I had to pick one right now, I'd probably, I'd probably give you the cliche answer. I would say Victoria definitely has a lot of momentum and our Victoria team is doing a phenomenal job over there. And Kelowna also seems like it has a lot of momentum right now. Uh, and our team up there has, again, done a phenomenal job with those markets. I think what you're finding is because like rates are probably, hopefully, peaking if we haven't already peaked, that people are now looking for maybe a little bit more on the cap rate side. Where where can I find that extra little bit on my investment? Yep. Markets like the Vancouver Island or the BC Interior typically offer that a little bit more than you'd find in the lower mainland market, just because there's lower cap rates down here traditionally. So that's what I think is people are now kind of coming out of the woodwork a little bit. And those are naturally where they're going to find a little bit higher returns. So they're going to gravitate towards those more so than down here. But in saying that, the lower mainland markets have been really, really busy, especially in the Fraser Valley area, the Tri-Cities area. We've seen sort of consistent activity there. But it feels like over the past two to three weeks, we've definitely seen an uptick around the board, both on sales and leasing, which is great to hear. Great to hear. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. And uh, thanks for tuning in. And we'll be back next week with another great show. Thanks, guys. Take care. Subscribe today.